China says it has Taiwanese spies, but Taiwan says those men were forced to confess. We'll tell you more about that in today's show. I'm Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council is warning citizens of the risk of traveling to China. That's after Chinese state television did a series of reports this week on Taiwan citizens who have been detained and charged with spying. A U.S. guided missile destroyer passed through the Taiwan Strait on Wednesday. This is the 10th such transit by a U.S. naval vessel this year. A new Washington think tank survey by the Center for Strategic and International Studies shows that two-thirds of Americans think the U.S. should defend Taiwan. The Industrial Technology Research Institute has held an exhibition showcasing advances in Taiwanese AI technology. Inventions highlighted included AI-powered medical devices, such as a machine that can detect abnormalities in the retinas of diabetes patients and a machine that can detect obstructions in the airways of infants. 28 flight attendants are continuing a decade-long tradition. They are the stars of a 2021 charity calendar. Each calendar sold gives $180 to the care of needy and abandoned children. The project has raised $7 million so far. It was easier to conduct the photo shoot this year with international flights at a historic low. And now for our word of the week. Ready, Andrew? Yes. Fly. Fry. <laughs> There's fry. a fly in our room. I, I know. know. <laughs> fri- fri- frivolous? Fr- friendly. Friend. friend. <laughs> okay, so today I speak with a friend of Taiwan, the president of AmCham Taipei, Liu Siwald. He's actually working very hard to get a bilateral trade agreement between the U.S. and Taiwan, and that would be great for Taiwan, and he'll be telling us all about that in today's show. All right, great word. All you right. ready for my word? Yeah. T, trade, trade, triangle. Aha! Triangle. You know why I said triangle? U.S., China, and Taiwan. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, whenever we talk about uh, U.S.-Taiwan ties, whenever we talk about uh, Taiwan and China, there's always a third part to that triangle. Uh, so I think you're going to see a lot of that in today's show. U.S., Taiwan, China. The Mainland Affairs Council is warning Taiwanese citizens about the risks of traveling to China. That's after four Taiwanese were seen on Chinese state television confessing to be spies. In her National Day speech on Saturday, President Tsai said that the most urgent order of business when it comes to China was for the two sides to discuss ways for peaceful coexistence based on mutual respect. The next day, China accused this man of being a spy. Li Mengju was a local government consultant in Taiwan's southernmost county, Pingdong. He disappeared on August 20, 2019 in Shenzhen, China. The following month, Chinese officials said that he had been detained on suspicion of undermining China's national security. But there was no further news about Li for more than a year. This week, China released a video of him saying he's a spy and that he was conned into going to China by Chen Yaling, the head of the township where Li worked. Chen says that Li was speaking under duress. Chen says that such ploys by the Chinese government play out like a joke in Taiwan. He says that if Li really was conned into going to China, then authorities there should just let him return. Meanwhile, Interior Minister Xu Guoyong says that the Mainland Affairs Council will handle Li's case. 
For Lee's family, the video is the first time they've seen him alive since his disappearance. It's a relief, but now the concern is whether they can secure his return. Now, after CCTV aired Lee's confession on Sunday night, it then aired three more confessions by Taiwanese citizens on Monday and Tuesday. It's part of China's Thunder 2020 operation, which they say has solved over 100 cases involving Taiwanese spies. Now, Taiwan's government says that these men were forced to make confessions. And in fact, they are saying that they were just involved in normal activities in China, things like academic exchanges. And here's the official response from Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council. They condemned Beijing for trying to disrupt Taiwan society and scare people here. They warned Beijing to stop what it called evil operations immediately, and they warned the public in Taiwan about the risks of traveling to China. And since last September, there have been 149 cases of Taiwanese asking the Straits Exchange Foundation for help for missing family members in China. That's right. And that was in the first three years of uh, President Tsai's term in office, mm. her first term in office. Now, uh, we called the Straits Exchange Foundation, which handles civilian exchanges with China, and they said that actually that number doesn't even suggest that those people have been detained. They could have been involved in a, a business deal that went sour or maybe just didn't want to get in touch with oh. their family. But they could be detained. They could be detained. That is possible. So there but, are missing people. Yeah, the ones we know about are definitely these four men uh, who have appeared on television in the past week, plus Li Mingzhe from three and a half years ago, probably the most famous case. So, Andrew, are you more wary about going to China now? I am. We, you know, we work as journalists. We work right. here at RTI. I think that's sensitive. Uh, what about you? Yeah, same thing. So, yeah. uh, we'll be keeping um, our eyes on the situation and letting you know, and there's more information in the link below. Tensions with China are increasing, but Taiwan's relations with the U.S. seem to be going strong. That's right. There were news reports this week which said that the U.S. is moving forward with more arms sales to Taiwan. One harpoon missile can sink a ship. A Reuters report says the U.S. has sent three arms packages for Taiwan to Congress for approval. These include harpoon anti-ship missiles and MQ-9 drones. Military expert Sun Ji-won says the missiles can help Taiwan defend and dominate the Taiwan Strait. MQ-9 drones can be used in conjunction with P-3 Orion aircraft to monitor the surrounding seas for a longer period of time. The Reuters reports that the White House has already approved the three arms packages. They include external sensor pods for F-16 jets and a truck-based rocket launcher called HIMARS that could attack China's coast, and long-range harpoon anti-ship missiles called SLAM-ER. This package differs from past packages in that it includes offensive weapons, meaning that Taiwan could use them to attack. Zeng says as for the U.S.'s Indo-Pacific strategy, as long as the offensive weapons are limited, they're in line with U.S. interests. There's already an imbalance of military power in the Taiwan Strait, so passive defense weapons cannot meet Taiwan's defense needs. Reports cite a total of seven U.S. arms packages in store for Taiwan. The defense ministry says it will report on the packages once they've been approved. Now, things are looking optimistic in terms of U.S.-Taiwan trade as well. Just this month, 50 senators signed a letter supporting a free trade agreement with Taiwan. And AmCham Taipei is also pushing for this bilateral trade agreement. Today, I spoke with AmCham's president, Leo Seawald, and asked him what a BTA would do for Taiwan. There's two key benefits to it. The first uh, is that it, it helps companies, it will help 
international companies diversify or particularly U.S. companies diversify their supply chains. And it's an opportunity for Taiwan to, uh, to prosper in that area. I, I think Taiwan has never been top of mind for global industries. Having worked for a number of them, everyone is focused on China, China, China. Now people are starting to think, okay, what can we do in Taiwan? What can we, if, we, if, if China, uh, if the relations are cooling there and there might be some trade disputes there, what other areas can we set up? And Taiwan is a great place to try to do that. And we should do all we can to encourage those companies to, to make Taiwan their next choice. And a, a free trade agreement would go a long way to doing that. The other thing is more in terms of a, a macro benefit. Uh, which is mentioned by those senators, those 50 senators you mentioned in the beginning, we're all trying to look for a more stable and prosperous Indo-Pacific. Mm -hmm. And China has been very strong for many years and, and continues to be and will always be, which is great. But what we also need to have is, is kind of other strong players within the Indo-Pacific region. And I think Taiwan has an important role to play in that, to kind of uh, develop other options. So are you optimistic about a bilateral trade agreement happening? Absolutely. I mean, this is something that has been on the AmCham uh, white paper issue for over 10 years. But I can honestly say that uh, this year and next year, I, th I think we will get some real results. I was also interested in hearing his thoughts about Taiwan's role in the global tech industry in light of the U.S.-China tech war. Taiwan is well recognized for its protection of intellectual properties. And in the technology area, yeah, that's really keen. Uh, that's, that's only one, but it's a key reason why a lot of American companies uh, in the tech industry are developing stronger ties with Taiwan. And you've seen it in the news, you've heard it in the news, uh, Microsoft, uh, Apple, a lot of these other tech companies have, have really expanded their investment into Taiwan and, and grown their business presence here uh, for reasons that they know that their technology is safe here. You also see that on the medical technology area. Um, the Patent Protection Act that, that Taiwan passed a few years ago has gone a long way to show Taiwan's commitment to upholding international intellectual property rights. And from a business perspective, you still kind of struggle with that on the China side. So Taiwan has really made a lot of efforts to to make itself more friendly to the technology industry, and, and that's why you see that. And we also see that TSMC has become a very key player, right, right. In, in terms of semiconductors. And um, do you think that Taiwan is going to play an increasingly important role um, in the global economy and supply chain? We, we would like to see that. Uh, we would like to see Taiwan continue to develop its influence in that area, but we also want to see Taiwan, ta Taiwan diversify into more tech industries, not just semiconductors, but really support uh, this whole shift in supply chain. Uh, that, that's when you, when you talked about the, the senators and their, and their letter. I think that reflects a fundamental recognition that, that the United States needs to diversify its supply chains. And I think Taiwan can play an important part in that on, on many different levels, not just in the semiconductor area. So what other industries do you see Taiwan, you know, playing a, an important role in the supply chain and, and the global economy? We, we see it in a lot of areas, but it is particularly in those areas that are technology driven, because that's where Taiwan is, is very strong in high end manufacturing. We see it. Uh, we see it in the medical industry as well. So so 
those key high margin industries are really a great opportunity for Taiwan. Again, that was AmCham Taipei President Leo Seewald. We'll have the full interview for you on Facebook and YouTube. All right, get this. Transportation officials in Taiwan recently announced that a planned light rail system for the northern city of Jilong is going to be connected to the MRT system in Taipei. The MRT system began construction in 1988, and it opened its first line in 1996. Now, there was only one line. It's the Taipei Zoo line. Yes. How many stations opened in 1996? Okay. Um, One, two, seven, three, four, five, oh, six, wow. seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, <laughs> Andrew, coming up with the uh, the mental picture. Let's take a look at the answer. Oof, wow! Missed a couple. So there were twelve stations. I just felt like it was really short. I, I remember it went from the zoo to Zhongshan Guozhong. That's right. It went to the zoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it went to the zoo and um, it was called Taipei Zoo Line. The name ah, changed, right? Zhongsha Line, right? Yeah, it expanded and um, fast forward twenty-two years later to today, guys. How many stations are there today? This- I'm talking physical stations. That you can enter and it's all connected to the same system. You need the MRT line all mm-hmm. together. Can I ask a question? Yes. Does this include? Does this include the Danshui line? This includes yeah, the, the Danshui line. Everything. Does it include the airport line? It includes the, the airport count. line. Okay, we'll does it forever. include <laughs> the the uh, gondolas, the ma- the Malcolm gondolas? Yes. Okay. I'm gonna say 100. I'm gonna say 128. 128. All right. So just to give you an effect, <laughs> I'm gonna show you the first picture. Really quickly, right here. Okay, and now I'm going to show you the next picture, which is just going to go bam and show you the expansion over the 22 years. Oh, 146. 146 stations. Now there are a few technicalities here. As Andrew said, you have to include the airport line, which is actually part of the Taoyuan Metro system. However, I included it because it's very accessible from Taipei. Also, if you ask the Taipei Rapid Transit Corporation how many stations there are, they'll actually tell you 131 because、okay. they don't count the、uh, the airport line, but、uh. they do count some stations twice. But we don't do that. They count it twice. <laughs> you know why? Because they cross different lines. Yeah, because they're transfer stations. Oh,、right. that's not. But I'm、right. looking at physical stations.、Mm-hmm. You see, they're just padding their numbers at that point. This is your number, right? This is my number, or、right. this is the the real number. This is the number of stations that um. That you can just walk into. So you had to count this? No, 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 no. It's、okay. not that hard to Statistics count. Statistics are. It is because if you count by line by line, you have to remember not to count stations twice.、I'm、There's、sure. at least like 15 transfer stations. That's right. So just how many dots there are and how many do they?、Uh, yes. Happen once. Now the next question. I'm going to look at the future of the MRT system. There's a lot being constructed. There's a lot being planned. In an ideal world, if the MRT system, the corporation, gets its way. How many stations are they going to、uh, erect? Oh my goodness! So this includes the whole circular line. Yes,、so、the circular line is only partially built, plus additional lines. Plus additional. I'll、lines. say three hundred. Ooh, that's a big number. I'm gonna say, I'll say two hundred. Two hundred? Yeah. Wow, that's exciting! Two hundred and eighty-six stations. Did you see how that、that's、number、great. just blew up? Nelly, you were so close with that. 300. Yeah, I figured why not double, right? <laughs> close to three hundred stations. Two hundred and eighty-six. That's、uh, that includes light rail lines, and it also, again, it includes the airport MRT line. What's crazy is that、uh, because the Taoyuan、uh, MRT line is also under construction, so not only are you going to connect Taoyuan to Taipei to Jilong. 
Whoa. Yeah, so like you can go from, I guess, almost middle Taiwan to to the northern point. Can I just jump in there, though? Mm-hmm. Like, But go, going by MRT or Metro from like Taoyuan to Jilong would probably take you like three hours, right? It's exhausting. You'd be, you'd be better off just getting on the high-speed rail and then transferring. Probably. Yeah. And here's the kicker. Those 286 stations do not include the Jilong light rail that has just been added to the greater MRT map. So it's going to be more than that. Crazy. So I hope today was just a few maps, but I hope the impact was there and you learned a little something. Mass transportation is no joke, you guys. That was the brain game for today. This is the Taiwan News Quiz. Every week we try to embarrass our coworkers by asking them <laughs> questions about news from the week. Um, Leslie and Natalie, are you guys ready? I guess so. Are the questions subway related? (laughs) No, none of them. (laughs) Then I'm not ready. I think you'll be ready. All right, we've got 60 seconds on the clock and go. On Monday, President Tsai met with a foreign representative from a place that local media are calling Taiwan's new friend. Somaliland. Good. Taiwan's representative to the U.S., Xiaobi Kim, has refuted a Japanese newspaper report which said that Taiwan could get a visit from who? Trump. That's right. (laughs) Analysts say that the newspaper is known for its sensationalism. Now, the National Science and Technology Center for Disaster Reduction has released a new smartphone app. What does it do? Tell the weather. Predict rain. That's right. Within 30 minutes. They can predict rainfall in your area with a very high degree of precision. Health Minister Chen Shizhong said Wednesday that Taiwan will not import any COVID-19 vaccines from where? China. China. Correct. President Tsai spoke about Taiwan's green energy strategy this week. She says the sector will attract 35 billion U.S. dollars and create 20,000 new jobs by what year? 2030? Close. 2025? Yes, that's right. The Council of Agriculture has created an environmentally friendly packet that can heat up your food. What's inside the packet? Oyster shells. That is right. Ground up oyster shells, which is great because Taiwan throws away 1.7 million metric tons wow. of the shells every year. That's a lot. We've got a bonus question for you. A group of kind-hearted Taiwanese flight attendants have unveiled their newest calendar for charity. What is the setting for the calendar? Temples. What's that? Temples. That is correct. Wow. The 2021 calendar is set in a temple. 28 flight attendants participated in the shoot at Chaotian Temple in Yunlin County's Beigang Township. They'll be donating a portion of the proceeds to groups in need. It's the 10th year creating the calendar, and so far they have raised more than 7 million Taiwan dollars for orphans and other groups. You know how much oh, money wow. that is? That's a lot of money. 250,000 US dollars. Chunk of change. Just Chunk of change. Chunk of change. Just from taking pictures. So you know these uh, flight attendants, the calendars that they do every year, they're very, very popular. Oh, well, they're all beautiful. Yes. I mean, they're like models. In Taiwan, flight attendants are like models. So. Yes. Is this Taiwan's take on, like, the firefighter calendar in the States? <laughs> yes, but slightly more clothing. <laughs> so, at any rate, we'll have some uh, links to those photos below. Thanks so much for joining us. This is our news quiz of the week. All right, our final question of the day. Since I have the word triangle above me, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite triangular-shaped thing? Leslie. Andrew Low Hanging Fruit, slice of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking my cat's ears. Cat's ears, I like that. Well, you know, I was thinking the same thing as you. I was thinking pie. <laughs> oh. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, if you like our program, subscribe and leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natty So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. This month, 50 U.S. senators expressed their support for a trade agreement with Taiwan. And the American Chamber of Commerce in Taipei is also pushing for a bilateral trade agreement, or BTA. And with us today is the president of AmCham Taipei, Leo Seawald. Well, Leo, it's great to have you here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And it's great to hear that you guys are working for a BTA between the U.S. and Taiwan. Can you tell me why AmCham is pushing for this? Well, I think uh, we, we'll be celebrating our 70th anniversary in Taiwan next year. So after 69 years now, we've come to the conclusion that is anything that is good for Taiwan is good for our industry, good for our industry group, good for our members. And if Taiwan prospers, then, then our membership will prosper. And we think that a bilateral free trade agreement will help Taiwan prosper and create stability in the region and, and really uh, improve the interconnectivity between Taiwan and other countries, and particularly with the United States. So it's great to see also that there's a lot of support for it in the U.S. Senate. Do you see that talks will begin soon? We're working on that. I'm not sure how soon they'll begin, and we don't, to be, to be honest, we don't really think that much will happen before the election. But that doesn't mean that we don't see bipartisan support for it. So we hope that uh, soon after the election, uh, we, can, uh, we can start the talks. And, and certainly we're working even now to, to try to make it happen. So no matter who gets elected, you think that the talks will continue to go forward? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I can just give you an analogy. We started, I started uh, getting involved with AmCham a number of years ago uh, as a board member. And we used to go to Washington and we'd call it our door knock or CEO mission. And we'd visit Congress and Senate. And in the, in the first few years I went, going back about three years ago, you would see that the Congress was quite pro-Taiwan, but you didn't have that sense in the Senate. I think the support for Taiwan has really grown over the last number of years. And, and we really believe it's bipartisan now. So whether it's a Trump government or a Biden government, we really believe that... Uh, the connectivity between Taiwan and the United States will continue to grow. An important part of that will be uh, a trade agreement. Do you know why it has grown in the past few years? I, I think there's a number of reasons for it. Um, but on a purely business side, the importance of Taiwan uh, to U.S. business has grown. Uh, if you go back uh, three, four years ago, we were the 11th largest trading partner. We're down to nine right now. So Taiwan has really improved its uh, business relationship with the U.S. over the last number of years. I also think the dynamics between the United States and China have also helped Taiwan uh, indirectly to, to boost its profile. So there is a U.S.-China tech war going on, and it seems that um, Taiwan is going to play a key role. What do you see as Taiwan's role with this struggle going on between the U.S. and China? Taiwan is well recognized for its protection of intellectual properties. And in the technology area, yeah, that's really keen. Uh, that's, that's only one, but it's a key reason why a lot of American companies uh, in the tech industry are developing stronger ties with Taiwan. And you've seen it in the news, you've heard it in the news, uh, Microsoft, uh, Apple, a lot of these other tech companies have, have really expanded their investment into Taiwan 
and, and grown their business presence here uh, for reasons that they know that their technology is safe here. You also see that on the medical technology area. Um, the Patent Protection Act that, that Taiwan passed a few years ago has gone a long way to show Taiwan's commitment to upholding international intellectual property rights. And from a business perspective, you still kind of struggle with that on the China side. So Taiwan has really made a lot of efforts to to make itself more friendly to the technology industry, and, and that's why you see that. And we also see that TSMC has become a very key player, right, right. In, in terms of semiconductors. And um, do you think that Taiwan is going to play an increasingly important role um, in the global economy and supply chain? We would like to see that. Uh, we would like to see Taiwan continue to develop its influence in that area, but we also want to see Taiwan diversify into more tech industries, not just semiconductors, but really support uh, this whole shift in supply chain. Uh, that, that's when you, when you talked about the, the senators and their, and their letter. I think that reflects a fundamental recognition that, that the United States needs to diversify its supply chains. And I think Taiwan can play an important part in that on, on many different levels, not just in the semiconductor area. So what other industries do you see Taiwan you know, playing a, an important role in the supply chain and, and the global economy? We, we see it in a lot of areas, but it is particularly in those areas that are technology-driven because that's where Taiwan is, is very strong. In high-end manufacturing, we see it uh, We see it in the medical industry as well. So, so those key high-margin industries are really a great opportunity for Taiwan. That's very exciting then, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, and how do your companies, you know, the, the members of AmCham, how do they feel about um, working with people in Taiwan? So we have uh, uh, over 500 members, and they're almost in every industry you can imagine. Uh, and they represent the largest companies that you, you see globally, but also more uh, medium-sized enterprises as well. And we do a business climate survey uh, every year. Notwithstanding covid People are all optimistic about their businesses in Taiwan. They're all optimistic about the three- and five-year future of their businesses here. Taiwan is seen as a very friendly place uh, to set up an operation and to run an operation. And in some industries, like the industry I used to come from, uh, asset management, uh, you, you see Taiwan really dominating in, in many areas in terms of the amount of uh, uh, revenue generated from places like Taiwan compared to other places ar around Asia. Really? Mm. So in addition to what you said, um, intellectual pr property protection, what are other factors that make Taiwan um, a an attractive place for uh, global companies? I think there's, there's a, a lot of factors. Uh, when you look at the Taiwan people, they are hardworking, well-educated, there's a lot of honesty, and you don't see people switching jobs the way you do, particularly in other markets uh, like the mainland, where, where people tend to work for quite a short period of time and switch to a new company. The, the workforce in Taiwan is, is very stable. Another thing that you see in Taiwan, for example, again, going back to my original industry, uh, you see a lot of diversity in that you see women in the workforce to a much larger extent than you would in, in other parts of Asia. Mm. Uh, the company I used to work in in the asset management industry, you'd see more than half of the employees being women at, at, at all levels. Uh, and that's really something that other Asian countries struggle with. Uh, Taiwan is quite e egalitarian in that sense. So what does that do to benefit um, businesses, having more women in the workplace at, at all levels? Well, 
diversity is something that is such a prominent theme now, particularly in Fortune 500 companies, and uh, they they all struggle with how to get more women, uh, particularly in more senior levels, into their companies. And there's a recognition that if you have a more diverse workforce, you have a, a better mix and a better decision-making process. So do you work with women? You do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So how would you describe... MCHAM office is, is mostly women <laughs> as well. It is, actually. How would you describe um, Taiwanese women at work? You know, I, I don't... I never look at things that way. I okay. never I'm have. I'm just curious uh, from your perspective. You know. Well, maybe I'm... I think I'm a typical of a Taiwanese boss in that I just see them as people. Mm. I really don't differentiate that way. And when I go to hire, I don't consciously, you know, oh, I need this sex or that sex. In Taiwan, you don't have to. Mm. You know, there's enough great candidates, uh, both male and female, that you just pick the best people. And I think that's the way the world should be everywhere. That is, Mm. yeah. And uh, I know women in Taiwan are very highly educated and ambitious, so... That's not a surprise, you know, what you noticed. Right. But, um, well, going back to the bilateral trade agreement, um, that's something that you're working for and promoting. What do you think that would do for Taiwan? Well, I think there's two two key benefits to it. The first uh, is that it it helps companies, it will help international companies diversify or particularly U.S. companies diversify their supply chains. And it's an opportunity for Taiwan to, uh, to prosper in that area. I think Taiwan has never been top of mind for global industries. Having worked for a number of them, everyone is focused on China, China, China. Now people are starting to think, okay, what can we do in Taiwan? What can we, if if, if China, uh, if the relations are cooling there and there might be some trade disputes there, what other areas can we set up? And Taiwan is a great place to try to do that. And we should do all we can to encourage those companies to to make Taiwan their next choice. And a, a free trade agreement would go a long way to doing that. The other thing is more in terms of a, a macro benefit, uh, which is mentioned by those senators, those 50 senators you mentioned in the beginning. We're all trying to look for a more stable and prosperous Indo-Pacific. China has been very strong for many years and, and continues to be and will always be, which is great. But what we also need to have is is kind of other strong players within the Indo-Pacific region. And I think Taiwan has an important role to play in that, to kind of uh, develop other options. So are you optimistic about a bilateral trade agreement happening? Absolutely. I mean, this is something that has been on the AmCham white paper issue for over 10 years. But I can honestly say that uh, this year and next year, I, th- I think we will get some real results. What is the difference between an FTA and an MBTA? I think the terms are used quite loosely, and there's really not much difference. Mm. Bilateral trade agreement versus free trade agreement. Bilateral definitely means there's two parties involved, uh, being the U.S. and Taiwan. Free trade agreement could have more countries involved as well, oh, which okay. is which is fine as well. Uh, the key is really to lower barriers to trade and make it easier to do business. And that's why the American Chamber is so interested in this, because from a, from a philosophical perspective, anything that limits trade is something we'd like to, to get rid of. So that will make some American products cheaper for Taiwanese as Absolutely. well, like cars maybe? Or it might, potentially, might. yes. Potentially, yes. And it would probably bring more foreign businesses to Taiwan. I think it definitely would. Uh, I think it also makes Taiwan more top of mind for American companies. And that's, as I said before, that hasn't been the case in the past. So 
that that's another reason that we, we really think it would benefit Taiwan. Well, that's great. Well, it's wonderful what you're doing here for Taiwan. Well, and, uh, as I said, our members benefit if Taiwan prospers. So, uh, and, and many of our members, you know, the, the, the people in charge are Taiwanese to begin with. But even for an, on a more fundamental basis, when our market does well here, then we all do well. So, and we really see this as, as a way for Taiwan to have a, a longer, uh, a more stable and, and prosperous future. So you're very optimistic about a bilateral trade agreement. And, you know, the president has been talking about Taiwan becoming a much more important player in the global economy and the global supply chain. Can you give us your outlook for Taiwan's economy in the next three or five years? Well, if I go back to our members survey, uh, which was done in 2020, and we also did an update for COVID, uh, but nonetheless, people are optimistic. They all see their businesses growing here. So if you ask me for a percentage, I, I can't give you that. I can only tell you that, that our membership uh, is optimistic about it. They're going to be hiring more people. They're going to be investing more money. And, and the margin from last year compared to this year, from the 2020 survey, which was done before COVID really became a problem, was, was I think, 15% higher than last year, the optimism. So I, I think you definitely see our members as uh, optimistic about Taiwan's future. Well, that's great. And do you think that we're going to play a bigger role in the global economy? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. So, Leo, it's been great speaking with you, and we really appreciate all that you're doing for Taiwan, um, heading the American Chamber of Commerce and also pushing for a bilateral trade agreement. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I've been speaking with Leo Siwal, the president of the American Chamber of Commerce in Taipei. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Dadaocheng. For over 150 years, the neighborhood of Dadaocheng has been the heart of old Taipei. From a small settlement founded by those fleeing strife, it blossomed, first into a thriving town in its own right, and then into a cultural and intellectual center for the new city of Taipei. 
Today, the skyscrapers, the financial district, and the tech hubs of the city lie elsewhere. But if you want to find Taipei's soul, Dadaocheng is one of the best spots to start looking. We're looking back on Dadaocheng's rise and examining its place today as one of the seeds from which the modern city has grown. The name Dadaocheng literally means a large place for threshing or drying grain, and it shows how little there was here during the early years of Chinese immigration, which got underway during the 18th century. There was some activity. A businessman set up shop here, for instance, in 1851. But it was a flash of violence in 1853 that brought a wave of people here. During the more than two centuries when Taiwan was under imperial Chinese rule, many Chinese immigrants came to the island. But even in their new home, they retained attachments and loyalties to their hometowns, and there were spells of fighting between factions of different local origins. In 1853, a rupture between natives of Quanzhou and Tong'an led to a clash in the riverside town of Manga. The Tong'an natives were forced to flee to the place called Dadaocheng, a short distance to the north, and there they set down roots. The move came at an important time. Taiwan's important centers had long been in the south of the island, but at around the same time Dadaocheng began to take shape, the resources of northern Taiwan began to attract international attention. The north had an abundance of camphor trees, which could be turned into camphor, a material with a huge range of uses, from making plastic-like materials to making smokeless gunpowder. Then, as some enterprising foreigners would discover, the area was also wonderfully suited for tea. Dadaocheng sat on a river, a river whose chief port was forcibly open to foreign trade because of the Second Opium War. A British merchant called John Dodd is credited with starting the tea boom. During the 1860s, he and a locally based merchant called Li Chunsheng started building a tea industry from scratch, bringing in tea bush seedlings and encouraging local farmers to plant them. At first, the leaves were sent across the Taiwan Strait for processing, but eventually, Chinese experts were brought in to establish factories closer to the source. Dadaocheng was the spot that tea merchants settled on. They learned the hard way that the rambunctious people of Manga, who'd run their neighbors out of town the decade before, were not keen on foreigners either. And in any case, Dadaocheng was closer on the river to the port. John Dodd's early batches of Taiwan oolong proved a hit, especially in the U.S. And after Dodd's early success, other merchants followed him into Dadaocheng. At its peak, the town was home to over 60 tea firms, sorting, baking, and packaging tea, and attracting other businesses to town as well. Some writers about this period say that Dadaocheng eclipsed Banga as the area's most important settlement. The tea trade continued to bring in large amounts of money for many decades. Buildings financed by the tea trade continue to be local landmarks, among them the 1923 mansion of tea merchant Chen Tianlai and the offices of tea firms like the Xinhong Chun Building built in 1934. Many of these buildings are notable for their Western style, with many balconies, elaborate faux baroque ornaments, and many brick fronts 
architecture that continues to set Dadaocheng apart. Despite the global decline of Taiwanese tea during the 20th century, you'll still find Taiwan's oldest tea merchants union here. And you can also find historic tea houses that are still in business. From 1895, Japan took control of Taiwan as a colony. Under Japanese rule, Dadaocheng would be absorbed into Taipei. Taipei had been founded nearby as an administrative center during the years of Dadaocheng's early tea boom, but surrounded by city walls, it had been kept physically separate. Under Japanese rule, much of the walls came down, and as Dadaocheng became part of a bigger city, it also became one of the city's most exciting districts, a place of intellectuals and artists as much as merchants. The 1920s in particular are looked back on in Taiwan today as a time when Dadaocheng, as much as any other part of the world, was roaring. It was here in 1921 that the Taiwan Cultural Association was founded, as global thoughts about democracy and self-determination reached Taiwan. The association held events and lectures, opened libraries, and printed publications in an effort to enlighten Taiwan's public. Meanwhile, one of Taiwan's most famous and longest-lived artists, Guo Xuehu, was born in Dadaocheng, and it was his brushes that captured the district at its most lively. His 1930 painting, Festival on South Street, shows a lively crowd during a celebration, with windows full of onlookers watching from above. There is incense smoke and a procession below, banners and shop signs plastered beside every window, and the laundry hung out to dry in the few empty spaces left on the canvas. This is the image people in Taiwan think of immediately when the name Dadaocheng is mentioned today. After World War II, with the end of Japanese rule, Taipei developed rapidly, a development that sometimes bypassed Dadaocheng as new areas gained importance. As high-rises grew up in other areas, Dadaocheng retained much of its historic look. The old brick and stone buildings, with their detailed carvings of floral and geometric motifs, are still there. This, of course, makes Dadaocheng an ideal backdrop for films and TV dramas, and it's been used effectively as a ready-to-film set in several period pieces. But the nostalgia these productions conjure up isn't something you can only get through the screen. Dadaocheng is a hotspot for guided walking tours, and not just to look at the architecture. The atmosphere here still hints at another era, in addition to tea shops, the area is especially famous for the other kinds of traditional businesses that grew up here long ago and haven't budged since. For example, in Dadaocheng, you'll find an unusually high number of Chinese herbal pharmacies, vendors of traditional snacks, and old-fashioned wholesalers. A cloth market still operates here too. In the run-up to the Lunar New Year especially, the bustle of old Dadaocheng comes back with full force with the annual Dihua Street Market. There, local merchants do a brisk business in holiday gifts, snacks, and decorations. And Taiwan's artists and intellectuals haven't forgotten about the place either, with a new wave of coffee shops and small craft studios fitting in snugly among their historic surroundings. 
This is the sort of place those in Taiwan's art scene today seek out. While now a part of a broader Taipei, the old quarter of Dadaocheng has never really been swallowed up. It's kept instead its own identity, more than 150 years in the making. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. The Sound of the Amis Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. This is Taiwan Explained, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Now, things are looking optimistic in terms of U.S.-Taiwan trade as well. Just this month, 50 senators signed a letter supporting a free trade agreement with Taiwan. And AmCham Taipei is also pushing for this bilateral trade agreement. Today, I spoke with AmCham's president, Leo Seewald, and asked him what a BTA would do for Taiwan. There's two key benefits to it. The first uh, is that it, it helps companies, it will help international companies diversify, or particularly U.S. companies diversify their supply chains. And it's an opportunity for Taiwan to, uh, to prosper in that area. I, I think Taiwan has never been top of mind for global industries. Having worked for a number of them, everyone is focused on China, China, China. Now people are starting to think, okay, what can we do in Taiwan? What can we, if, we, if, if China, uh, if the relations are cooling there and there might be some trade disputes there, what other areas can we set up in? Taiwan is a great place to try to do that. And we should do all we can to encourage those companies to, to make Taiwan their next choice. And a, a free trade agreement would go a long way to doing that. The other thing is more in terms of a, a macro benefit. Uh, which is mentioned by those senators, those 50 senators you mentioned in the beginning, we're all trying to look for a more stable and prosperous Indo-Pacific. Mm-hmm. And China has been very strong for many years and, and continues to be and will always be, which is great. But what we also need to have is is kind of other strong players within the Indo-Pacific region. And I think Taiwan has an important role to play in that, to kind of uh, develop other options. So are you optimistic about a bilateral trade agreement happening? Absolutely. I mean, this is something that has been on the AmCham uh, white paper issue for over 10 years. But I can honestly say that uh, this year and next year, I I think we will get some real results. Again, that was AmCham Taipei President Leo Seewald. We'll have the full interview for you on Facebook and YouTube.
This is Radio Taiwan International. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.